Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you for coming today. It's good to have all of you here with us, and I always uh, think to myself, you could be anywhere today. You've chosen to come and uh, worship with us and spend time with us at church today, and I want to thank you for that and for being a part of this uh, church family, supporting our ministries. If you're visiting with us today, we trust you'll feel right at home, and uh, and this will be a time of uh, just worship and celebration for you. I, I appreciate my wife. Uh, just She just got here because she was at a work retreat this weekend, and she made it back in time to get to church today. I could have used her help earlier because I taught Sunday school this morning for the Fidelia class, and afterwards someone, one of my dear friends, came up to me and said, I think you have a uh, dryer sheet in your sleeve. <laughs> and I looked, and sure enough, like a magician, there it was. So I taught the entire class, and the Fidelians also gracious. Nobody said anything. Nobody commented. I uh, appreciate that. Next time, it's okay to tell me if I've got dryer sheets in my sleeves. Oh, that, so I could have used her help this morning. So we just sang in the last song, uh, When My Strength is Failing, and we reflect uh, throughout the uh, scriptures, and uh, as we have uh, this morning also in Sunday school, we come to the end of our lives, and uh, what advice would you leave uh, for those who were to follow? We've been studying the life of David, and we saw this morning in class, as we finished our study of David, we saw David's last words to his son Solomon and the things that went on during his life as he came toward the end of his life. When the Apostle Paul came to the end of his life in Second Timothy, uh, we have Paul's final uh, letter. And just a second, Mark, am I going to mess you guys up if I move things around a little bit here? Okay, I'm just going to kind of combine all these papers here. It's not as easy as it looks. (laughs) Just throw on the floor. There we go. How about that? Okay. Okay. So um, when when Paul comes to the end of his life, and he's, almost all Bible scholars believe this is the final epistle Paul writes because he talks like a man who is uh, toward the end of his life and about ready to leave this earth. And he says from t- to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, We've been studying the life of David because we believe this. We believe that uh, God wants us to study all of Scripture. And the Apostle Paul says that the Old Testament, those are the Scriptures they had, is profitable for us. And I trust as we've studied the life of David that it's been profitable for you as you consider application. As we uh, look at the Scripture, we say through a, through a grid of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was given that ministry to the Gentile world and took this message of the grace of God that we are saved completely apart from any keeping of the Mosaic Law by God's uh, perfect grace to the salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
but we can learn from the Old Testament and we can apply things that we have learned. So this morning, I would like us to look at the life of David one more time, and we are going to apply uh, from the life of David, hopefully some principles uh, that we can learn from. So let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, we pray that uh, it will be your words that are heard and that your word will speak to our hearts. Our hearts will be open to your word, that it might encourage us to walk with you, to live with you, to share your love. And if there be someone here today who has never received Christ as Savior, you would use uh, even these passages as we talk about your grace and mercy to open their heart to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty for our sins, offers us forgiveness for sins and eternal life and the hope of the resurrection. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Now, your Bible says we're going to be in, um, your Bible, your bulletin says we're going to be in 2 Samuel today. But I actually would like you to begin, we're going to actually look at, this is one of those accounts that we have, it's like the Gospels, the life of Jesus. We have sometimes different looks at it. This account, we have a look at it from 2 Samuel, and we have a look at it from 1 Chronicles. And I'd like to ask you to turn to 1 Chronicles and uh, chapter 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And uh, we're going to look at some lessons from the life of David. Let me see you get this up here. Here we go. Lessons from David. One more time. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. And David said to Joab and his commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me that I may know how many there are. Now we have a really interesting um, issue here. It very clearly says, whoever the author of the Chronicles. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Chronicles is the very last book, First and Second Chronicles, which makes sense. It's the history from start to finish of the kings of Israel to the time of the exile and, and destruction in Babylon. But it's interesting, he begins here and says, Satan, the word Satan in the Hebrew means adversary. The adversary. And this particular, um, in, in the Old Testament, we see particularly this character, Hasatan, the adversary. We see him with the life of Job, right? Where he came among with the angels, presented himself before God, and said, have you considered, that God says, have you considered my servant Job to Hasatan, the adversary? We see it in second, uh, in Zechariah, where he confronts Joshua the high priest. And it says Hasatan. Here it's just Satan. It's just an adversary, but it fits with this character in the Old Testament that we know now as we go through the New Testament, Satan, God's adversary. And it says Satan rose up against Israel. He rose up against Israel and he incited David to number the people. Now what's particularly fascinating about this, and we're not going to solve it this morning, but if you put put a bookmark or your bulletin or your finger or something, if you have a Bible or if you're using a tablet or something, make sure you can get back to it real quickly. And go to Second Samuel chapter 24, where we've been studying the life of David, mainly from Samuel in our studies in, in Sunday school and our morning service. And this is our last one as we came to the end of his life, and we and we saw the end of David's life. But in chapter 24, 
You'll notice it says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So isn't that kind of interesting? In Chronicles, it clearly says, Satan incited David, tempted David against Israel to take the census. In Samuel, it says clearly, God is angry with his people Israel for their sin and rebellion. We don't know exactly what particular rebellion we're talking about here. At the end of this, at the end of these accounts of David's life, we have this summary of these different things. You know, the mighty men of David we saw that in Samuel this morning. It's sort of a wrap up. And then he goes right to this account. So it's possible this account took place earlier in David's life, but it's placed here as part of this summary. So whatever took place in Israel, God is angry with his people because of their sinfulness and their rebellion. And it says, God caused David to do this. Who did it, God or Satan? Yes and yes, right? It's a, it's a bit of a dilemma. And it's one of those areas where we have to say, you know what? Um, am I getting, I'm getting some feedback here. Is it the monitors? Is that what it is maybe? Um, uh, we have to say that that God is sovereign. God is overall. God is sovereign. And this is all in God's hands. We have to leave it there. Is God permitting Satan to do this and directing it? You know, we have to leave it there. It says it. Satan did it, but it says God did it. So we know that the situation, David is being used by God to punish the people of Israel. That's the context. So, I mean, the first thing we want to learn this morning, just to just be reminded as we are in Scripture, that God is sovereign. Amen? All things work together for good. Romans 8.28, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If God were not sovereign, what a chaotic place we would be in worse than it is now. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan. God has a plan for salvation. God has a plan for your life and my life. You know, the old spiritual, four spiritual laws. God has a wonderful plan for your life. God is sovereign. And God had a plan for Israel. And however this washes out, God is sovereign. Satan tempts David to do something. And that is to take a census. Now, what's the big issue here? What's wrong with the census? You know, we hear in the news a lot about a census because there's some controversial parts to the next census that are being discussed, right? But the actual census itself, would any of you feel that any government taking a census every so often, every 10 years or something, to find out what their country is made up of and so forth, is there anything inherently wrong with that or anything immoral or sinful about it? But there's something about this census that is horribly wrong. And, and it's so horribly wrong doing this that, and this is, this is one of David's sins. It's, it's titled David's sin in taking a census. David seems to be kind of almost the innocent party being used by Satan and God here to accomplish something, but he did make the choice. And, and I want you to notice it's, it's so wrong and, and it's so obvious in verse three, but Joab replied. Joab is his top military commander. We've seen Joab. We saw this morning 
that David tells Solomon, listen, you're going to have to get rid of Joab. He, he is a brilliant military commander, but he's bloodthirsty. He's killed innocent people. He caused much trouble. He just recently had rebelled against Solomon by joining Adonijah. David says, you have to get rid of him. This man who is so, so bloodthirsty, so loyal, he even sees it. He sees right away through it. He says, David, David, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? David sees it. David sees it. I mean, Joab sees it. David does not see it. Joab sees it right away. What is the problem here? What is so obvious about this that David is missing about taking a census of his people? Well, Joab goes out and and does it because it says in verse 4, the king's word, however, overruled Joab. Joab left, went throughout Israel, and then came back to Jerusalem. And we, we see in Samuel that he goes, for those of us who have been there, he crossed the river Jordan and went east. He went over to the other side of the Jordan River. He went up north, up to Dan. He went over to the coast, to Tyre and Sidon. He came down the coast, down to Beersheba, way down the south, back up to Jerusalem. He made the circle all the way around the nation. He comes back. And it took a while. It took months to do this. And he comes back and he reports in verse 5. He reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. It was repulsive to him. He didn't, he wouldn't count the priests and the Benjamites where Jerusalem was located. He wouldn't count. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. So he brings back, he brings back the report, and the problem is what? Why is David numbering? Why is David numbering the military? I mean, look at the results. The results. The results. There we go. All Israel. 100, 1,100,000, Judah, 470,000. Now, Samuel has a little bit different reckoning, but there are ways to work that out. That's not the issue. But what's, what's the point here? What do these numbers represent? What tribe is David from? Judah. What's going on here? Come on, me. Exactly. Where is David's trust? Why is David doing this? David is trying to find out how many troops are loyal to him in case of another rebellion? And he wants to know who he can count on. This is his tribe. Judah is his tribe. Benjamin is close to his tribe. The rest are scattered around. They've already had one civil war after the house of Saul fell. There's about to be another short one, a rebellion by his son Adonijah. David wants to know how many troops he can count on in case of a war. The problem is, David is counting on his strength and not the Lord. That is the sin here. And Joab spots it. Joab says, don't do this, David. Don't do this. You have to depend on God. This is his military command. Don't do this. But he does it. And the numbers come back. And immediately, you'll notice, it says, verse 7, this command was also evil in the sight of God, 
And he punished, not David, he punished Israel. God began to punish Israel. And as soon as this happened, David said to God, I have sinned greatly. I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done very foolishly. You see, David did not depend on God. He depended on his military strength. And all of a sudden, it struck his heart, and he realized what Joab saw that he didn't see. The Lord, verse 9, we're going to have to read a lot of this this morning. This is a very important story. The Lord said to Gad, David's prophet, David's seer, David had court prophets, Samuel, Gad, and Nathan. And Gad at this time goes to David, and, 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 and God says to him, Go tell David, this is what the Lord says. David, you asked for me to forgive you. Here's what's going to happen. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and he said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. <laughs> three choices, right? Three doors, right? Pick, pick the one, but he knows what the responses are. It's not a gamble. He knows what the choices are. And he said, here's your choices. One, verse 12, three years of famine. Two, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you. Or three, three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the hand with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So, God is punishing Israel. Whatever is taking place, and we're not sure what it is, is so severe that God is going to punish his people severely for what they've done. It's justice, and they deserve it. But David is the one who now, is, as leader, is stuck in the middle here. Now, if you were to put these three choices into a computer, maybe use artificial intelligence to say, just complete logic, Complete logic based on just odds. What would you choose? Now, these people live in the Middle East. Water is everything. Famine ravages the land. They're enemies. We, we know what they were like. They were bloodthirsty. They, they, were, they were merciless. And, and when your enemies overtook you, the worst you can imagine, the pillage and the rape... And the, and, the, and the butchering and the torture and the burning of your cities, it was horrible. The hand of God. The last time the angel of God, I think, significantly acted in this way with the sword, maybe. Remember the plague of Passover? And on the Passover, it says the angel of death passed over the land of Egypt. And, but God says several times to Moses, it's me, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. And if you remember correctly, at the stroke of midnight, in one second, every firstborn in Egypt died. In an instant, three days of the angel of God destroying your land, it seems to me that the odds would be in favor of famine. They still had their money. They still had their military. 
There are places they could go to buy food. It would be desperate. Those are the opportunities that David has. And this is amazing to me, uh, David's response to this. David's response. Verse 13. David said to God, I am in deep distress. He, had to, he was given time to think about it. He has, he has to take responsibility. People are going to die in his country no matter what. And he's going to take the responsibility. I often think of military command. I think of what would it be like on, you know, on D-Day to be, to be Eisenhower and have to make that final choice and say, okay, we're going. And we know thousands of our people are going to be killed. How would you like to have to make that choice? David has to make this choice. He is going to lose people. His land's going to be ravaged one way or another. And he says, I am in deep distress. Here's his choice. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? For his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Friends, this is where we see David was a man after God's own heart. God is sovereign. He should always trust in God and he didn't. But David knew God well enough. David knew God well enough that he was counting on God's grace and mercy no matter what happened. He said, I will, I will take the worst possible scenario, God's angel destroying my land because I am counting I am counting at some point that God's grace and mercy will win the day. And that's the choice he makes. And he puts his people at risk, friends. He risks losing a nation of people because it's God's angel that is going to be ravaging his land. And look what happens. Verse 14. Again, God is angry with his people. This is his justice. And the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Just like that. The rebellious ones. The ones who were causing the trouble in Israel. And it's not in Jerusalem, evidently. It's outside throughout the land. In an instant, it appears, 70,000. What's to come? Three days. It's only started. 70,000. 70,000 thousand are gone just like that verse 15 and then god sent the angel to destroy jerusalem so he went out throughout the land first now it's jerusalem and the angel comes to jerusalem but as the angel was doing so the lord saw it and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was destroying the people enough Withdraw your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing at the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And you got this, this, this picture. David looks up and he sees the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. And David and the elders clothed in sackcloth, they fell face down. And come on, you got an imagination. Conjure up a picture in your mind. This is an image. It's visual. David sees it. And here is the angel of the Lord with his sword in his hand just held up waiting. God stopped it. He 
He didn't say, he didn't say go away. He said, hold it. Why? Because David was right. David was right to bank on the grace of God. God was grieved when he saw what was happening to his people and he stopped it. And this angel's frozen there with his, with his sword up over Jerusalem about to bring it down. And friends, when he brings it down on the city of David, it's David's family, David's kids, David's wives, David's people, the nation, of the tribe of Judah that's going to be destroyed as soon as that sword goes down and it's frozen there. And David looks up and he sees it. And I want you to notice something else about the heart of David here. They fall down in sackcloth, he and all the elders of Israel. And look what he says in verse 17. David said to God, Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I did this. This is my choice. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family but do not let this plague remain on your people. Friends, you see, the, this is the heart with all of his weaknesses. This is the heart of a, of a servant of God who knows the heart of God. Look what, he, look what he does. He is a leader who puts the other people first. Listen, if you're in any kind of leadership role, the best way to lead is to put the others first. And that works in a secular field. It works, it works in your office. It works in your workplace. It works in your neighborhood. It certainly works here at church. It works around the world in missions. That if you are in any kind of leadership role, is it about you or is it about the people who you are leading? David gets it right. He says, God, take me out. Kill my family. Stop it. Quit killing these people. I'm the one who sinned. He doesn't know what's going on in the courtroom of God. He doesn't, he, you know, this Satan did it. God did it. All he knows is he made the choice and his people are suffering greatly. And he begs God, kill me. Take my life. Take my family. Take my kids. But stop. Friends, this is a man who understood leadership. And you have a right to expect that of God's leaders. If God's leaders are not willing to put God's people first, they have no right being in leadership. You know, the Apostle Paul, in Acts, in Acts chapter 20, when he came to Ephesus the, the last time, the Miletus, and they came out, and Paul said, listen, I know, I know, this is the last time you're going to see me. And he says to the elders, he says, listen, shepherd the flock of God that he has put under your care. Eldering, leading in a church family is very important because we are shepherds. And Paul, Paul knew this. And he said, you're not going to see me again, but I want to leave this with you. Take care of God's flock. Friends, we need leaders who are shepherds. Well, let's look at this story. Let's finish this story. It's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. The angel, verse 18, of the Lord, then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David. Now, wait a minute. Who, who is talking here? Who's talking? Isn't God the one who's been doing the talking? You see, there's plenty of evidence in the Old Testament that this Hamalak Ha Elohim, the angel of God, the angel Hamalak Ha Adonai, the angel of the Lord, is the second person in Trinity, is Christ Himself. 
I mean, God's been talking, and now it's the angel who orders Gad to tell David, go build an altar to the Lord, David. Here's your, here's your opportunity. You go up to the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. This is a Jebusite city. You go up north from the, from the city of David. You looked, we looked at it in our fidelity class this morning. You go up north from there, up to the hill overlooking the, the city of David. And Arana, he is a Jebusite. He still owns a piece of ground where he threshes wheat. You go up there to that threshing floor. And David went up in obedience to the word that God had spoken. He goes up the hill. He goes from the city of David, just up the hill, like across the street. He goes up the hill. And Arana was threshing wheat. He turned and he saw the angel. I mean, come on, use, use your imagination a little bit here. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. David approached. And when Arana looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and he bowed down before David with his face to the ground. I mean, what is this guy doing? He's still threshing wheat and he looks, here's the angel right there at his threshing floor. The angel's right there. He sees it. He sees the sword drawn. He hears the cries around the country. He knows this is a horrible day of plague. His sons see it and they leave and he keeps threshing wheat. <laughs> He's just in shock or something. And, and David comes up to him. And David says, Rana, let me have the side of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me for the full price. Aaron, this is the king of Israel. The king owns, in most cultures, the king owns all the land. You're just taking care of it for him, right? Who is the king in Israel? God. It's a monarchy but it's a theocracy. God is a king. God owns the land. David is the steward. David says, Orana, I want to buy it from you. I mean, David, this, this remember the scene. Blood is flowing. And David says, Orana, sell me this piece of land. Incidentally, have any of you, have any of you been to the threshing floor of Orana? Some of you have. I've been there. Some of you maybe didn't go to the spot, but you were within a couple hundred yards of it. And if not, I know you've seen pictures of it. David says, let me buy this place. Verse 22, let me have it so I can build an altar to God. The plague may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. And Arana says to David, David, take it. Let my Lord the King do whatever pleases him. Remember, the angel standing there was about to drop his sword on Jerusalem. I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, the wheat for the grain. Take it, David. What do you get? This is, and I don't think this is like the negotiation with Abraham. I think this, this guy is genuine. Says, David, take it. Stop this plague. And look what David says. This is, this is, friends, this, this goes right to the heart and soul of why the Bible says this is a man after God's own heart. But King David replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Listen, friends, how did David, how did David have the sense in this situation, the spiritual sense as a leader of his people to know, I have got to pay for this. 
This is not a sacrifice if I take it from you. I must pay the full price. Friends, it's called a sacrifice for a reason. We see it throughout the Bible. You sacrifice. We ask, we ask you, we ask ourselves, do we, do we give sacrificially? We're raising money for our missions program. You've given to help us improve our facility for our ministries. You give to help support the pastors and the workers in the ministry of this church. And friends, God doesn't need our money any more than David, any more than David needed a free piece of land. But we give sacrificially. Friends, giving what's left over is not a sacrifice. And if you, and if you approach your giving that way, it's not a sacrifice. Because you know what? If you're going to wait and see what's left over to give to the Lord's work, guess what? What? There's nothing ever left over. We don't preach the health and wealth gospel here. It's not right. We don't preach that if you give to God's work, God's going to bless you and make you rich. Paul wasn't rich. Jesus was homeless pretty much most of his life. But God does promise to take care of your needs. And I want to encourage you, friends, especially if you're younger. Uh, we had to learn this, and I make no bones. I credit my wife in my family for being the one to really insist on that because she learned it from her parents, her dad. She learned it from her dad. If, as younger families, the thing you have to learn, friends, if, if, if you want to give when it's left over, it never will be there. David knew what it meant to give sacrificially. Isn't this great? Isn't it beautiful? That in this scenario, with the sword about to drop over his city, he says, no, I can't do that. I have to pay for it or it's not a sacrifice. I'm not going to sacrifice to God something I got for free. And he does it. He sacrifices. And David, verse 25, paid Arana 600 shekels of gold for the site. David had plenty of money, but he sacrificed. He built an altar to the Lord. He sacrificed burnt offering, fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven. He burnt up. God sent fire, just like, just like with in, in the Old Testament, at the altars where he did this with Elijah. And it sucked up that burnt offering. In verse 27, the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back into its sheath. David was right. He knew God well. How well do you know God, friends? That was a very tender moment for me yesterday when I visited Betty uh, Snow in the morning. Went there in the morning to see Betty and uh, we had time alone and we just chatted. Talked about church. Talked about WMF, the kitchen, the luncheon she missed and how worried my wife was how well it was going to turn out. (laughs) Talked about the ladies' event going on, talked about church. And, and, you know, Betty's story with her background, with her family in the ministry, is a life that knew God. How well do you know God? How do you get to know God better? You see, this whole, this whole, this whole story has to do with the fact that David knew God because he loved him. And he counted on him. 
Read the Psalms. David pours out his heart. This is why he was a man after, and he was right. He was right. He took the right choice because the heart of God was great. Friends, this is a lesson on the grace of God. This is not a lesson on just David. This is a lesson on God. Ultimately, it is his grace and mercy that we count on. What are you counting on? Are you counting on that you think you're going to finally get it right? Are you counting on figuring it out? We sang today a song that many people would find offensive. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We do not apologize for that here. Because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He shed his blood and he suffered God's punishment. As it says, it pleased God to crush him in Isaiah 53, to strike him because of my sin. He died for me. And I'm counting, friends, on the grace of God. And David got it right. David got it right. This is a lesson on God's grace. And the plague was stopped. The tabernacle of the Lord, verse 29, which Moses had made in the desert, and the altar burnt offering, they were off in Gibeon. David could not go before it to talk to God. Why? He was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. The angel's still standing there, and he's put his sword away, and the crisis is averted. And David is so reverent before God, he just stays in the holy city. Because I want you to know, I, I said to you, um, a lot of you have been there. A lot of you have been to the threshing floor of Arana. Chapter 22. Then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be right here. Right here. This is the place. We're going to put the altar of burnt offering right here at the threshing floor of Arana. And they did it. Because you read in Second Chronicles chapter 3, simple verse, the Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem at Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Friends, the temple, the temple that David built and eventually that Solomon built and eventually was rebuilt by Herod the Great was built right there in the threshing floor of Arana. And if you've been to Israel today, you know where that Dome of the Rock is. Somewhere in that vicinity is the threshing floor of Arana. You've been there. I've stood there. David said, this is the place where God's grace will always be remembered. So I want you to take home these lessons today. It's a lot from the life of David. God is sovereign. Our trust should always be in God. Friends, if you're, if you're trusting in your retirement account, if you're trusting in your good health, if you're trusting in your intellect or your good looks, our trust is only in God.
the best place to be is in God's hands. Amen? The best place to be is in the hands of God. And I can assure you, I can assure you that early this morning, when Betty Snow was called from this life into the presence of God, there was never a split second she was out of God's hands. It is the best place to be. And David knew that. And that's why he chose that. If you're a leader, be like David. Put others first. Or get out of leadership. Get out if you can't do this. Because God's people deserve this. Sacrifice is supposed to be costly. That's why it's called sacrifice. It's not called a free lunch. It's called sacrifice for a reason. And God deserves the best and God deserves the first. And friends, just always remember, when all is said and done, it is God's grace. That is the story from Genesis to Revelation. It is the grace and mercy of God. Amen? Come on up, Mark. While we do this last song, I know that Jim would agree with this. Um, If there's any of you who are here this morning that are hurting, that are sad, while we're doing this last song, come on down front. Jim's here. He'll pray with you. Kevin's here. Uh, Elders are here. Um, Sometimes you just need someone to know, someone to have perspective. Uh, there's one thing that I've always trusted in, and that is God's always got my perspective. And he's created me perfect for the purpose that I'm intended for. He's created you perfect for the purpose that you're intended for. So if you'd like. Bless you. Come back and join us again for worship. Well, we're a prayer prayer. If you'd like to join us, God bless you. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs>